Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health/podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health/podcast. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Today, I have the fantastic Kevin Fryert. He's a principal at Salem Oaks Consulting. Kevin is a consultant to patient advocates and a seasoned drug developer. He'd like to offer his services to patient advocacy groups to help them equip their constituents to directly influence the design and development of new medicines. Pharma companies and biotechs alike want patients more deeply involved in the design and performance of clinical studies. Patients desperately want those studies to better address their specific medical conditions and needs, but they may not be familiar with drug development or feel able to effectively interact with highly educated experts. These two groups find it hard to talk to each other, and he can help close that gap. He spent about 30 years plus at Pfizer and has held other leadership positions from the laboratory bench scientists to clinicians to the senior business executives. He has been able to address all of their needs. It's a pleasure to have Kevin on the podcast. Looking forward to uh, uncovering some of the cool things that you guys are up to, Kevin. Great. I'm really happy to be here. I want to thank you for inviting us to talk today. Absolutely. Now, why did you decide to get into the medical sector? Well, I started out in a pre-med program and I soon realized that while I didn't want to be a doctor, I did want to be a scientist. And my first job, my first real job, was in a lab at the University of Buffalo Medical School working for Dr. Robert Clocky, who was at the time the editor of the Journal of Applied Physiology. Although my degree was in molecular genetics, I was thrown into the world of trying to understand gas exchange in the pulmonary system. It was pure basic physiology. But while I was there, he and his team, he taught me how to do surgical techniques, computer programming, and how to do really solid science. What he taught me got me an interview and ultimately a job at Pfizer. And once I was there, I was pulled into this industrial side really quickly. I was just infatuated with the applied aspect of what pharma companies were doing. It wasn't just science. It was science that was going to make a difference. But what I really wanted to talk about what I got into is what I've been involved with the patient side lately and just recently moved into. Just before I finished my career at Pfizer, we had a guest speaker at a global department meeting. She was a Parkinson's patient, Lisa Cohn, who spoke to us about how we were doing our clinical trials and even all drug development wrong. 
by not tapping into the patient's expertise. She gave examples of several ways that we could do it better just by talking to patients. But I was really impressed with, with her knowledge and her ability to speak our language. Not all people can do that. So I approached her afterward and learned that she had actually worked for a company that developed patient-reported outcomes, which meant she was an insider. Of course, she could speak our language. So then I turned to her, her colleague from the Parkinson's Foundation, Carlin Schroeder, and asked, how do you prepare your advocates to do what you're talking about here? And she told me about something that they run. It's called the PAIR program, Patient Advocates in Research. I asked what they had for teaching PAIR participants about drug development beyond clinical trials, and she admitted it was a bit thin. And that's when the light bulb went on. I could use my experience bringing R&D to life for researchers to help patients learn so that they could be more effective advocates for themselves and for others. I knew the industry was really starting to realize this, that the patients were important and they needed to partner with them and they just didn't know how to do it. So I saw an opportunity. So after my early retirement party, I set out to establish a company and the acorn that became Salem Oaks was planted. At first, I was a one-man show and I soon realized I needed some help to do some needed research and establish a social media strategies. So I brought some people on. And by doing that, it's really jump-started our work given us a presence, and it's freed me to return to my attention to developing our educational products. Kevin, I think that's pretty cool. And, and so you've, you've taken this new approach to get patients more involved in the drug research process. What would you say is the hot topic that needs to be on all the medical leaders' agenda today? And I think that is the key question to everything here. The most important thing we should be paying attention to is the shifting of the balance of power and influence toward patients in all of healthcare. Patients are the experts in living with their own disease 24-7, 365, and therefore they bring motivation and attention and focus. Healthcare professionals just can't do it. The healthcare professionals need to learn about medicine largely and learn about everything that's out there, and they can't focus down on specific cases as much as these patients can. And so it's important for the patients to learn how to have the discussion with the doctor or the physician's assistant or the nurse that they're talking to, to talk about what's going on with them and what's really important with their disease and where they want to get to, what successful treatment would look like or successful care would look like. Similarly, patients can do that same thing in R&D but they're really not equipped to do it. As you said before, the process is complex, the language uses dense, the acronyms and technical terms are all over the place, and the researchers are really smart. These are people who have multiple advanced degrees, and they can be intimidating. So we believe that the patients need to develop the knowledge, the skills, and the confidence to be more effective partners. And we're approaching this at Salem Oaks by providing educational resources to these patients and their families. We can't forget about the caregivers in this picture as well. We're creating e-learning, webinars, face-to-face -face courses, and other resources as well. We're laser-focused on the medicines development process right now, but we're thinking about moving into other areas of healthcare as we grow and as we bring on experts in those areas. One thing I've learned in the process of getting into this patient side is that there's other people involved. This is a, it really is, it takes a village. So I have some ideas about what other people could do here too. I think that for healthcare professionals, there's a new movement called participatory medicine. And this movement is where patients and healthcare professionals actively collaborate and encourage one another as full partners in the, 
in the health situation. A great place to learn about this is the Society for Participatory Medicine, and you can reach them at participatorymedicine.org. We actually had Dr. Danny Sands on the, on the podcast a couple Excellent. months ago. Mm-hmm. Excellent. You have to get e-patient Dave, too. All of us. Yeah. yeah, he mentioned him as well. I haven't had him on yet, but it's a great movement. Some some fascinating uh, things happening through that. And it's all about being involved as a patient. Absolutely. And I think it's helping patients know what questions to ask, when to ask questions, to just know that they should be asking questions. And that usually gets a discussion going. I think there's things industry can do around here too. And I know that one of the big hurdles for industry is actually finding the patients to talk to. And that doesn't seem like it should be hard, but it it really is. I just had a discussion yesterday with some colleagues who want to do patient engagement. They want to talk to patients, but they're struggling getting to the patients themselves. There's actually a group out there called the Savvy Co-op, and they are the match.com of patients in pharma. What they do is they allow pharma to put gigs out there or want ads for patients. And these can range from focus groups or interviews or surveys through to actually recruiting for clinical trials. And what they've done is created a a marketplace there, a virtual marketplace. You go to savvy.coop and you can find that marketplace. You can post what you want to do from the industry side and patients will respond to it. They've set this up so that the patients are actually the members of the co-op. And therefore, any profits or reimbursements or anything that come through are shared among those patients. And it actually pays them for the valuable information that they're providing. That's pretty cool. It's really cool. So, Kevin, tell us a little bit about how you and your organization, obviously, you guys are doing a lot there. But as you've been putting together these these resources, and even with your experience over at Pfizer, maybe a setback that you had that you learned a lot from. So, I've got two of those. I probably have more than two, but there's two that I'm thinking of. The first one is that one of the successes I had in my career was establishing something called Pfizer Research University, where we turned the experts in various parts of R&D into teachers. We supported them. We gave them everything that they needed to go out and teach other people in the company what they knew. And this was our play at knowledge management at the time to get what was stuck in people's heads out to other people's heads so they could use it. And it was very successful for about five years. Executive leadership was behind us. They did videos for us. They thought we were fantastic. And they thought we were so fantastic. They kept telling us, don't waste your time trying to measure your impact. It's too hard. We know in our hearts that you guys are doing good stuff for us. So just keep doing more. Well, that was great until executive leadership changed when we went through a couple mergers and the budgets got tighter. And then everyone was coming around saying, so what are you guys worth? And so we were absorbed into a learning and organizational effectiveness group and slowly dismantled. And it was a pretty trying time because, you know, people lost their jobs about this. And it was kind of like, what happened here? Everybody thought we were great. And what I learned is if you're going to do something like this, you have to define your value proposition and then you have to put the metrics in place so you can back up that promise because somebody later is going to ask, what have you done for me lately? And when return on investment is the topic of discussion, all the good intentions and warm fuzzies in the world aren't going to help you. It's a great call out. The other 
failure that I'd like to talk to is something that actually threw me into this work and really kind of motivates me through it. And it was a meeting that we had. I was working on a team. I was the project manager. So I was leading our all hands meeting for the, the year. And we had brought in some patients. And these were patients who were destined to die because there was no treatment for their disease. And we were working on one. And they came and they poured their hearts out to us. They were fantastic. They told us so much about their lives and what they were looking for. And we all sat there silent. And they started looking at us like, what's wrong with you guys? And I just couldn't take it anymore. So I spoke up and I explained to them that we had heard everything that they said, but we were under some corporate restrictions, confidentiality, legal issues, compliance issues to not talk about our work in too much detail. And therefore, it's kind of an awkward situation to have a discussion. And then I tried to explain to them and reassure them that the people who were sitting in this room were dedicating at least the next five years of their life to helping them. And that's when one of my colleagues turned around. She had tears in her eyes and she basically barked at me, don't say that to these people. They don't have five years. And what that taught me or what that drives me for is, you know, you think you're helping but you've actually got to put yourself really in those other people's shoes and think about what are those words going to do when it hits them. It also, it's like a mantra. We don't have five years. We've got to be urgent about this. We've got to move quickly for people who have no treatment now to find something that will help them and improve and extend their lives. That's a great message, Kevin. And um, yeah, definitely one of those situations where when you really put the shoes of your patient on, you really have to realize that, hey, you know, some people are just around the corner from this is it. And so a uh, great story, a great takeaway there. How about on the other side of, of things, Kevin, one of your proudest medical leadership experiences? So this is really interesting because another part of my life is that I'm really active in our church, and I do a lot of missionary work, short-term missionary work, and I work with our youth. And about 10 years ago, we had gone up to Anchorage, Alaska with a group of young people from, from our church in Connecticut, and we were there to serve people who were in poverty and homeless. And we found ourselves working in a food bank, greeting the clients. We were there to make them feel at home while they waited for their turn to go get their food. And I struck, struck up a conversation with one of the more, he was isolated and he, he was a scary individual, just the way he looked and the persona that he was trying to put out there, very dark, very strong, don't talk to me. But I said, I'm going to go talk to this guy. Turns out he was a great guy. He was, he was a marshmallow, really, really lovely guy. But he had a lot of issues that he was dealing with, including several mental health issues. So as we're finishing our conversation, um, as I did with all these people, I asked them, hey, can I pray for something specific for you? And he said, oh, that would be great. Could you pray for my kids? And you could, could you pray that I get my stuff enough together that I can be with my kids again? And he goes, and then I have this prayer of thanks. Um, he said, I just started this new drug. It's called Geodon, and it's changed my life. What he didn't know is that I actually worked on the Geodon development team. And for me, this was like this huge intersection of two things in my life coming together. And I was like, wow. And so I told him that. 
And he just looked at me and he said, thank you. And then we both kind of broke down in tears. And I have to tell you that that moment, that thank you, that realization of what you're actually doing in somebody's life provided enough inspiration for me to push through whatever obstacles were in front of me since. It's one of those areas where you just go back and think, I want more moments like that where people can just say thank you. That's awesome. I mean, it's completely unexpected, but sort of full circle to the work that you were doing there, Kevin, and uh, a very inspiring story. Totally get why you're doing what you're doing today. What would you say within Salem Oaks, what's the most exciting project or focus you guys are working on today? So we've got a couple things going on. We're building some e-learning programs that are coming to fruition, should be out this fall, and those are coming together really well. I'm excited about it because we reached out to patients and asked them, what would you want to learn about medicines development? In my mind, you go do a course on medicines development, it starts with the basics. There's discovery, clinic, preclinical, the clinical phases, registration, you know, what all that means. They didn't want to go there. They wanted to jump behind that and jump ahead to how are those decisions made? What are the decisions that go into it? So we're building a course right now that talks about the decisions that are made, who makes those decisions, the factors that they're weighing, and who else actually influence those decisions. The goal is that for these patients and their caregivers and their advocates to be able to go in and know where the influence points are and have a better better success rate at influencing how those processes are going. And if you know anything about drug development, the decisions are myriad. So there's plenty of room there. The other thing we have is a case study that's about an eight-week course, and it's very interactive, very learner-led. It's a case study that keeps twisting along the way. And at each stage, the team that's doing it, the cohort that's doing it, need to discuss with each other, what do we know? What don't we know? What questions do we have? And then they assign each other kind of a research project to answer those questions. And they go off in between sessions and they come back and teach each other what they learned. And then the case twists again and they go through that process and they repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And what's amazing about this is this is exactly what research and development teams do. They look at what they have. They look at the information. They go, well, here's the question. We need to know this. And they figure out an experiment, go do the experiment or run a study or whatever it is they need to, to answer that question. And then they come back and teach each other. So what we're trying to do there is provide these, these patients the knowledge, skills, and confidence through practice, practice, practice by giving them a feel for what it's like to be on a team and wrestling with the issues and making the decisions, they'll be able to step into a team with a pharma company somewhere and be very well qualified to engage in the discussions. Love it, Kevin. Some great work here and um, kudos to you for empowering the patient to get that voice put out there so that the in the end, the, the drug that, that gets put out is one that's most beneficial to them. And in turn, enables the drug companies to deliver much greater value. So I think it's, uh, it's sort of a win-win there. Let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today, the 101 of Kevin. And uh, we're going to build this out pretty quickly here. Four questions followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Absolutely. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? This isn't difficult. It's to talk to the patients and make the effort to bridge the gaps in their language or their education or their circumstances. 
you need to see them as people first, and then people who have disorders. This whole idea of participatory medicine, increasing healthcare literacy, which is another soapbox I could get on, and partnering with patients in R&D all fit into this. Talk to those patients as people and respect what they're saying. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? I think, and I find this all the time, is that it's assuming that people actually know what you're talking about when you use jargon, technical language, or science. Some of us in the business forget how much we've learned over the years and decades. And we need to step back and realize just how arcane our language is and how we fill it with shortcuts that really aren't shortcuts for people that don't know what, what they're listening to. You know, so these patients and the policymakers and business people, everybody is really smart, but you know what? They just don't know how to understand an expert speaking in tongues. We need to step back and mesh our language with theirs so that we're sure that they understood what we were talking about. How do you stay relevant, Kevin, in an organization despite constant change? Well, this is a great question for us because we're trying to establish our relevance. We're trying to get out there and make ourselves know. So we're doing this through active listening. It's on social media, it's at conferences, it's working on one-on-one with people. You know, I think that it's an old saw from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but seek first to understand. And so I always, whenever I'm in a conversation, even right now, listening to you, Saul, I want to listen and always take something from the conversation that teaches me something new. Love that. What's one area of focus that should drive everything in an organization of healthcare? So for us, it's equipping the patients and the people around them. We want to give them whatever they need to be more effective, more influential, and more successful. I think that for other parts of healthcare, similar needs are there. What do those patients need to be successful in becoming healthier? What does If they become healthier, then society becomes healthier. But how do we help those patients take some ownership of it? What book would you recommend to the listeners? So I mentioned my my short-term missionary work. So I've got to put a plug in for the Bible. I'm not going to talk a lot about that. I just encourage you to read it. The other two books I'd like to talk about, one is called Unbroken by Laura Hillebrand. It's a historical piece about Louis Zamperini, who was an Olympic athlete who was taken prisoner after being shot down in the, over the Pacific in World War II. It's not exactly work-related, but the struggles he faced and the grit he showed as a POW roughly parallels, but completely dwarfs, the tenacity needed to bring medicines to market. And it just was an inspiring book. The other one that's very directly related to what I do and I think is important for people to read is Summer's Complaint by Laura Keeger. It's a great discussion of how a family dealt with a rare genetic disorder, familial adenomatous polyposis, FAP. She went back several generations and uncovered the records of her ancestors who had died early but never had a diagnosis. Each of their stories is unique, and the only thing it shared was that they had this complaint. You know, this is something that their stomachs, their GI systems were always in pain and always giving them problems. So they had this complaint, but they had no known cause. And so as science advanced, they learned what was happening and they learned how to deal with it. She told each of their stories, though. So what it taught me a lot about is how each person's journey is different and unique. And therefore, we need to approach them as individuals and find out where they're at and meet them where they're at. And I think that everyone in healthcare can learn something important from that in reading this book. 
Great recommendation, Kevin. Folks, you can get all the show notes, book recommendations, as well as a full transcript of our discussion today with Kevin. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash Salem, S-A-L-E-M, as in Salem Oaks Consulting. Kevin, getting close to the end here, this has been a lot of fun. If you can, just share a closing thought with the listeners and then the best place where they could get in touch with you for collaboration. Sure. So as I mentioned before, in the early days of this shift of balance of power and knowledge in healthcare, this is going to require change on many fronts. So for patients and families, it's time to learn about the system and your particular disease. If you want to get involved, get educated. For healthcare professionals, look for ways to bring your patients into the conversation. Make them part of the team. And for biopharma, it's in their best interest to help patients understand how medicines come to be and help them become key players on their teams. Throw some of their weight and even funding behind the educational efforts that the disease foundations and patient advocacy organizations are developing. Just imagine what you could do if the organizations could provide you with a consistent source of engaged, infected, empowered, and educated patients um, to advise your decision-making and your R&D teams. And if you want to reach us, you can get us at www.salemoaks.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Salem Oaks or send me an email at Kevin at SalemOaks.com. Outstanding, Kevin. Hey, this has been a true pleasure. It's great to spend some time focused on patient-centered care, especially around drug development. You guys are doing some really cool stuff. Keep up the awesome work and, uh, and really appreciate you making time with us today. Thanks, Saul. Thanks again for having, giving us a chance to share our work at Salem Oaks. Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast.